0: So much. My goodness. It is awesome. I get so inspired. You don't know how fired up it gets me just to hang around with you guys. You guys, you know, God's doing this thing here and you don't appreciate it as much because you're in it. You're like a fish in water. Let me just tell you, as an outsider looking in, this is remarkable what God is doing here. I I can even quantify it. It's not just me making it up. Uh, There's this magazine you probably don't know about, but pastors know about it called Outreach 100. And every year it comes out, and it has the hundred fastest-growing churches, hundred biggest churches, hundred churches that multiply the most other churches. And Mercy Road has been in this every year for the last few years. It was in the most recent edition; just came up. And I'm telling you, if, if, if this is like the Hall of Fame for pastors and churches, this is like the Church Hall of Fame. Um, Pastor Josh, my name has never been in here. I'm not bitter, I'm not jealous, but Mercy Road is in here. Josh Hoosman is in here. You guys are just killing it. And I want you to know, in California, they're talking about you. In Transformation Ministries, the group that I'm a part of, Couple hundred churches. They talk about Mercy Road and and what God's doing here and how you guys are just churning out all these churches. And and I just want you to know your reputation goes far and wide. I just uh, am so excited to be a part of you, Josh Hoosman. I'm telling you, I've been a pastor for 42 years and I've seen a lot of leaders that I've come in contact with. Josh Hoosman is the most gifted. Christian church leader I've ever encountered in my life. It's just a remarkable call. Josh and Lisa Hoosman are part of the Mount Rushmore of our church uh, back in Southern California. I just loved listening uh, to your Song of Songs series. What great speakers, Pastor Josh and Pastor Nate last Sunday. Oh my goodness, that was just awesome. You guys have like the greatest combination of preaching and worship that I've ever encountered. If I lived here, this is where I would go to church. Maybe I will retire here so that I can go uh, to Mercy Road, but it is just great, great, great to be with you. Uh, Today we come to chapter 5 in Song of Songs, and the title, or Song of Solomon, either one, and the title of our message is Second Wind. You know how you get a second win if you're working out or if you're doing a sport and you go through a hard time and you push through it? You will often get to what we call a second win. And the same thing is true in relationships. When you hit a hard time in a relationship, when you hit conflict in a relationship, uh, with a friend, with a, somebody at work, anybody have anybody annoying at work, uh, uh, your, your spouse, it could be your spouse. If you push through you will get a second wind. And so you push through the hard times until you get to the good times once again. Now right now, what I want you to do, I want this message to be practical. I want it to live in your life and not just be theoretical. I want you to think of that person in your life. I want you to think of um, a friend that you're going through a conflict with right now or maybe a friendship that you're going through a difficult patch right now, maybe a person at work. Who's your most difficult person at work uh, or if you're married um, with your spouse, and on the maybe a fellow student at school, it could be. And so, on the count of three, I just want to shout their name out. Okay, just uh, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Do do not do that, uh, especially if they're seated next to you. You don't want to do that. But what I do want to do is I want to kind of have us pray a scripture over um, that friend, or that spouse, or that fellow student, or that. Uh, work colleague. And Hebrews 12 verses one through three, these verses apply to persevering in our relationship with Jesus. But I believe they can also apply to us persevering in our relationship with with each other. And so I want us to pray this passage over that specific relationship that you're thinking about right now. Hebrews 12 verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, don't grow weary, don't lose heart, uh, God can help you push through this hard time into a good time, particularly if it's in, within your marriage. You know, there are days in marriage when you wake up and you say, boy, I'm glad I'm married today. And then there are those other days when you wake up and say, boy, I'm not glad I'm married uh, today. And if you push through those days, you get through to this word that I call cherish. 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 You know, for those of you that are just uh, not married yet and God's going to call you to be married or even in a friendship or other relationship, if you push through the hard times, you get through um, in the later years. Uh, Kimberly and I have been married for 40 years now. And uh, you get through to those years where you cherish the other person. You can even get to that point with a person at work or, or with a friendship. Do you have a friend in your life A relationship in your life where as the years have gone by, it's gotten deeper and richer, and you cherish them. Like I said, next year, Kimberly and I are going to celebrate our 40th anniversary. There we are 40 years ago. And for those of you in the early years of marriage, just push through those hard times, and you get to that stage in your marriage or in your relationship where you cherish each other on the other side. I've done about 400 weddings through the years, and uh, the first one I performed, the very first one, you can see my wedding book is like about to fall apart right there. Actually, I don't use this one anymore. I had to replace it, but I saved the original one, and the first wedding I ever did was kind of like a wedding renewal uh, for this older couple, and they had me underline the word cherish in the wedding vows. Do you solemnly agree before God and these witnesses to take this woman? to be your lawful wedded wife, to love and respect her, honor and cherish her. And they had gotten to that point in their relationship, I was single at the time that I did that, and and they got through to the point where they they cherished each other. Uh, Kimberly and I met, I was single, uh, 24 years old, as a pastor of a small rural church up near the Canadian border around Syracuse, New York, in upstate New York. And about the third Sunday I'm there, Kimberly had just come to Christ at Boston University. She was looking for a church to go to in the summer. And so she walks through the door and I'm shaking hands at the end, which you kind of did in the old fashioned days where you shake hands with everybody uh, leaving the service. And, uh, and, And she came through and I'm thinking to myself, man, I have got to get to know her. Which sounds super creepy for a pastor, like checking out women at church. It's like, oh, that sounds really wrong. Well, it was legit. I mean, she she was single, I was single. It was it was all cool. And and she comes back the next Sunday with her fiance, and and they want me to perform the wedding for them. All right, so I call them in for premarriage counseling. I said, you know, your premarriage tests just are not good. They don't make- no. I did not do that. That would be serious malpractice. You know, any of you that are counselors or psychologists, don't walk out on me. I did, I, I, I did not do that. No, I began to pray about it, and he died about six months later. No, he didn't die. He didn't die. That, that, that's a joke. He, he didn't die. He's, he's, he's still alive, alive and well today. Uh, they broke up on their own, and uh, about a year after that, we started dating, and a year after that, we got married. But today, we're going to meet a couple who pushed through their conflict and their relationship to the other side, and we're going to look at how they did it. Song of Songs 5, verse 1. I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. Now, Pastor Nate told us last Sunday, he said, you know, when it says sister, that's a term of endearment back there. It's not something even creepier than a pastor checking out women at church, all right? It, it's not that creepy. Although, I have to admit, I'm from Southern Virginia, and so if it was cousin, I'd be down with it. You know, you know, <laughs> you know um, uh, uh, sister, a little too far, but it's a, it's a, it's a, term, it's a term of endearment back then my bride, I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. This is just a poetic for the fact that they've just consummated their marriage as Pastor Nate um, shared last Sunday. Then the second half of the verse says, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. And these are cheers from the wedding guests. And so a wedding reception back then could last up to a week. And so this is their wedding guests cheering them on at the reception. Then verse two, I slept but my heart was awake. So this could have been a dream, this could have actually happened, or it could have been that she dreamt this. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of of the night. And and so uh, he comes home late from being out with his buddies or he comes home late uh, from work, and they have their first fight. They have their first fight. And people ask, when does the honeymoon end? And some people have said, it's when you have your first conflict. It's when you have your first disagreement. Honeymoon literally means a season of sweetness. And so their season of sweetness ends. Uh, those of you that are married, uh, how many of you remember your first fight or your first argument? Anybody remember? I, I you know, and do you remember what it was about? Uh, I, I, I can't uh, remember uh, what it was about, but I do remember it. And I remember it because I remember thinking, I'm not very good at this. And my wife was very good at it. <laughs> and I should have been forewarned because her maiden name, this is a true story, her maiden name is Hazard, okay? So God's in heaven saying, how much clearer can I be? I, you know, how much more of a warning do you need? Her name is Hazard. And uh, she had come from a family where they were, let me just say, able to express their feelings readily with one another. And I had not, I hadn't heard my parents ever raise their voice the whole time growing up. Now, I'm not saying that's functional. That has its own dysfunction to it. And so when we got into an argument, I mean, she was really good I, 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 when, when I'm one of those people, when I get angry, my IQ drops 20 or 30 points. Kimberly is the type that when she gets angry, her IQ increases 20 or 30%. She knows exactly what to say. How, oh, let's do a little poll here. How many of you, your IQ goes down when you're angry? Okay, you're like, how many of you, your IQ goes up when you're angry? Okay, all right, very, very good. So some identify with Kimberly and some with me. But you know, I have to admit, I was a little bit arrogant, like, oh, look how out of control she is. I'm so together. No, no, no. I began to realize it was healthy because she... She would immediately let me know when something in her had hurt her and, and it was how, and I could grow, I could say, "Oh my goodness, you know you step on a landmine, boom, your leg goes off you 're like i 'm not going to step there anymore i can't anyway, because I have no leg, but but at <laughs> any rate I, I, I you learn from that that 's how you grow, and i 've appreciated that about her now, with me, I was one of those They would just get madder over a week and let it build up. And so with me, a mind would go off a week later in the distance, boom. I wonder what that was about. Has no relation to anything that that she had done. And so I began to learn that I needed to express myself more if we were to grow in our relationship the way she had grown. Another funny thing I remember is back then, and this is really old-fashioned, they used to have the pastor live right next door to the church. Uh, it was called a parsonage, and the church would own a house. And so we were literally 10 feet from the church, which is just great for a new marriage to have the pastor and his wife live right next door to the church. And so it was a summer day, and all of our windows were up, and we were 10 feet from the church, and all the windows were up, at the church, and there was a women's Bible study going on right next, to you know, like 10 feet away where we're going to have this massive fight, and so I run over and start shutting all the windows, and she's like, you keep those windows open. I want the whole world to know, and I do, I do not want the ladies' Bible study to know it, you know, and so at any rate, we just approached it very differently, but I learned through that that I had to grow. She had to learn to dial it back a little bit in order to be heard, and I had to learn to dial it up a little bit and to be more honest in order uh, for us to grow. So this couple has their first uh, argument, conflict, or fight. Uh, He says, let me in, and she says, no. Song of Songs 5, verse 3, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? I'm all ready for bed. I don't want to get up and go. You know, it's funny, Matt Mellinger, who does a spectacular job as your uh, head of tech here. uh, Well, Josh had told me I want to change something in my outline, and I identify with this young lady here, because Josh had told me, well, why don't you email Matt uh, Saturday night, and it'll be easier. You don't give it to him in the chaos of Sunday morning. So I remembered it when I was all in bed, and I was all the covers up and everything. I'm like, Ah, forget it. I'll just do it tomorrow. So I was just like this young lady. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? But then she changes her mind in verse four. My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. "'My fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. One very romantic thing that men used to do back then is pour myrrh or perfume on like the doorknob so that when she'd come out, she'd grab the doorknob and it would smell uh, like his fragrance. "'I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone.'" So she says, "'No.'" He says, "'Yes.'" She says, "'No.'" Then she changes her mind and says, "'Yes, but now he's gone.'" "'My heart sank at his departure.'" I looked for him, but he did not answer. You know, I think you'd agree with me. So much of conflict in relationships is timing, isn't it? You know, um, he's ready, she's not, she, he's, she's ready, he's not. Um, one of us needs to pick up the pace and one of us needs to slow down if we're gonna run together. You ever run with somebody and when you run with somebody, you've gotta pick up the pace or slow down and the other person has to do the same. Let me do another little poll how many of you in just life in general are you need to slow it down a little bit, kind of people? Anybody? Okay. And how many of you are like, you need to speed it up a little bit, kind of people? Yeah, and so they they just they just got off kilter in their timing. Now in chapter three, the watchmen help her, but here they think she's doing something wrong. Verse 7. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. So how do you get through a time of conflict or a hard time in any relationship? And there again, I want this to apply to everybody. Uh, A lot of the applications are to marriage, but it can be um, in any friendship. Like I said, somebody at work. You know, I I gotta tell you, God, one of the things you don't like about preaching is, you often go through the thing that you're preaching about. Um, and, uh, and this week, I had some conflict. It was crazy, out of the blue. And one of them was a 30-year friendship. And another one was a 15-year friendship. It was so, so weird that after all these years, and I think God was kind of preparing me um, for this. So four ways to push through the hard times to the better times. And I intentionally put the word better rather than just good, because when you push through the hard times, you actually get to a better and deeper place than you were before the conflict in your relationship. Sometimes we think, oh, I wish there was no conflict in my relationship. No, you actually grow deeper and stronger in your relationship through the conflict. Conflict is actually a tool that God can use to deepen your friendship. Uh, Kimberly and I went through the hardest time in our marriage around year seven. And our, be- our marriage was better after that time uh, than before that time. Let me tell you what happened to us. Uh, I was like your classic workaholic working, you know, 60, 70, 8 hours a week building this church. I just was just obsessed with building the church, putting on all kinds of hours and, and neglecting Kimberly in the process. And, and I got by with it. Uh, she put up with it when it was just the two of us. And then when we had one child, when we had Abigail, it, it, she put up with it because uh, we outnumbered the kids. You're good as long as you outnumber them. But then Leah came along, and now it was a tie. And I had to step up to the plate, and I did not. And so that that's, that's what... But through that adjustment, through that brokenness, through that hard time, we came out better on the other side. Um, so the first thing we do to get through to the other side is receive your friend or your work colleague or your spouse as a gift from God. And I'm not talking just the parts you like. The parts you don't like are a gift from God as well. That, that is a gift from God in order to be received. It, it's kind of like this. Let's watch this. Why don't you do yourself a favor? You know, why don't you keep this job because you eat better, you know? Is there ever snow in here? Uh, you and my sister, how are you getting along together? How do you think? Uh, I'm not sure, huh? What's the story? About what? What's the story? What's happening? You really like her? Sure, sure. I like her. I don't see it. What's the attraction? I don't know. It fills gaps, I guess. What's gaps? I don't know. Gaps. She's got gaps. I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. I don't know got gaps, I got gaps, together we fill gaps. God gave you that person. God gave you your husband or your wife to fill gaps. She's got gaps, you've got gaps. Together, you don't have gaps. That person that's so annoying at work, they have gaps, you have gaps. Together, you don't have gaps. That friend in your life, you have gaps, they have gaps. Together, you don't have gaps. Genesis 2, verse 21, I like to think of it going like this. Uh, God told Adam to name all the animals. So he's sitting there, it's the end of the day, he's getting tired, he's running out of names, and God brings him an animal and he goes, yak, how about yak, and he writes it down, yak. God brings him another animal, zebra, writes it down, zebra. God brings him another animal, orangutan, writes it down, then God brings him Eve, and he goes, whoa, man, whoa, man, and that's, that's, that's that's not how it happened but I, but I like to think of it. So so she was a gift to fill gaps. So do you are you able to receive your friend, your work colleague, your spouse as a gift from God? You know, every person is a half full of glass. Every one of us in this room, we're half full glass. We're half full of strengths and we're half empty with weaknesses. We got strengths, we got weaknesses we got gaps. We got gaps, but then we've got places where we are strong. And when it comes to the, the strong areas of our spouse or of uh, our friend or of our work colleague, um, when, it, when it comes to the strength, those are easy to receive. Isn't it easy to say, they're good at that. Thank you, God. I received that gift. But how about the stuff they're not good at? How about the things they're annoying in? Uh, Can can you say, God, I receive the annoyances of my friend or this person in my life or my spouse. I receive their weaknesses and give you thanks for those as well as for their strengths. Now, that's a harder thing uh, to do. And yet so much of life is you can spend your life complaining about the empty half, or you can spend your life being grateful for the full half. And people just become bitter because they spend their whole lives, this is who they're not. This is who my spouse is not. This is who my, the, the person working with me is not. This is who my friend is not. And they just become more and more bitter. Or you can give gratitude for the things that they are and live your life thankful. And here's the interesting part, is that in an atmosphere of thankfulness for who they are, they are more willing to change the things that there aren't. Does that make sense? If you come at me with everything uh, that's like, wrong with me, I, I get resistant. But if you come at me with, I'm grateful for this or that, uh, but here are a couple of things that we could work on in our relationship, I'm more receptive at that, at that moment. So you can become bitter or you can become grateful. Uh, your friend, work colleague, spouses, weaknesses, have a divine purpose in your life. Weaknesses are tools of God to cause you to trust him more. Weaknesses in your own life and weaknesses in other people's life. Weaknesses are not a hindrance to achieving God's purposes in your life. They're actually a tool to help you fulfill God's purpose in your life. Weaknesses are only changed in a climate of love and acceptance and prayer, not nagging and disapproval and intimidation. Let me share with you the scariest verse in the Bible, but it can also be the most encouraging verse. If, if you're married, but I, th- I think this applies in all of our relationships, but uh, Peter applies it to marriage. And if you're married, and if you're, especially if you're a husband, this is a scary one. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. It's talking about physical strength here, not strength in other areas, but in that culture Physical strength was, was primo, you know, even more than, much more so than it would be today. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, here's the scary part, so that nothing will hinder our prayers. Oh my goodness. Are you telling me, uh, God, that maybe one of the reasons my prayers aren't being answered is because I'm not being considerate to Kimberly? I'm not treating her with respect? Now that's scary, but it's also encouraging because i like to flip it and say that if you are considerate to that friend or to that spouse or to that work colleague if you do treat them with respect even when they don't deserve your love and respect that supersizes your prayers that puts your prayers on steroids you want you want to strengthen your prayer life you want to get your prayers answered treat the people in your life that are the most difficult with consideration respect and love and god sees that and he strengthens your prayer life. And then number two, help your friend, work colleague, or spouse fulfill their dreams. Not always be about our dreams, but helping them. Boy, you want to be you want to be a popular person at work? Go to work thinking, how can I help the people at work fulfill their destiny, their dreams? Uh, how can I help my spouse do that? How can I help my friend do that? Philippians two, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. You know what the part of the problem was in year seven of our marriage? Was our marriage for the first seven years was all about me fulfilling my dreams. I wanna build a church, I wanna grow the church, and nothing about me helping Kimberly fulfill her dreams. And so we changed that after the rough patch that we went through at year seven. And one of her dreams had always been uh, to adopt children in need and and finding the neediest children possible and and providing a home for them. That was her passion in life. And uh, I found this out when we were dating. Uh, You know, We're we're dating and she says, you know, one of my dreams is that if we got married after we have a couple of birth children, that we go down to South America, we walk into an orphanage and we adopt a couple of kids. Now, I want to tell you, That thought had never crossed my mind. That had never, in my wild dream, I had never, but because I wanted to keep dating her, I'm like, are you kidding me? That's my dream too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Ever since I was a little boy, I've, I've dreamed this. We must be soulmates. Oh my goodness. And I thought it was like a youthful thing that would pass over time. I'm like, you know, that's a crazy idea. She won't hold on to that. And I still remember the moment in a hospital in Syracuse, New York, St. Joseph's. um, Little Abby is standing by the bed, about two years old. She's got Leah in her arms. And she looks at me and she goes, we're going to go get our boys. And I'm like, oh, she's not gotten over it. What? No, no. And, and, And we went down to Cali, Columbia in South America, a couple of boys at an orphanage there, seven and eight years old. Uh, The little boy, John, had um, um, severe physical problems, had a colostomy bag, had about 10 or 20 surgeries or so. And and we took them them home, and then when we moved to Los Angeles, we became foster care parents, and through an unfortunate set of uh, events, uh, Rebecca and Noah became available uh, for adoption, so we adopted. Um, them as well, and so uh, here's here's a picture of Kimberly and me at that particular time, and um, and uh, uh, the title of this picture I, I put is uh, he must be rich. That's what I call that picture right there. He must be rich, and so and then this is our six children. This is our six children uh, at the time, and this has become kind of the DNA of our extended family, because when Kimberly adopted and inspired her two sisters to do the same. And so when our family gets together, uh, three of the children are adopted stateside, two are adopted from Colombia, two from Mexican background, two from Korea, two from Vietnam. So our family reunions look like the United Nations, <laughs> or better yet, they look like heaven. But here's the interesting thing. Do you know that for helping Kimberly fulfill her dreams has actually ended up giving me more joy and happiness than fulfilling my own dreams. And did that sound like Jesus? Isn't that kind of a Jesus thing? Helping somebody else fulfill their dreams actually ends up, it, it's, this has been the most fulfilling part of my life, not building a church and now the one in California, but it's been actually, this has been more fulfilling, helping her fulfill her dreams. And then number three, be willing to see things from the other's point of view. I, I just love this video so much. I may have even shown it one of the previous times I was here, but it's my favorite, so here it comes. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is, thank you. Ow. Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't. And here's another of my favorites. This is my marriage. I'll tell you, this is Kimberly and my marriage. See if you can identify Let's watch this. Fact of life. Women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom. He was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen where my wife is. I said, hey, I just got a text, said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. She said, was he driving? I said, I don't know. I just got a text, said, please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. Were Carol and the kids in the car with him? I don't know. I just got a text, said, please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got a text, said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. What hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I just got a text, said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. She said, Well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got a text. Said he was in a bad wreck. Can anybody identify with that? Oh, that is Kimberly and me. And then number four, back to Song of Songs to finish up. Find the half full part of the glass to love and to respect. Want what you already have and you'll have what you want. Like Pastor Nate said last Sunday, the grass is greener where you water it. Ephesians 5.33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And this is what the wife in Song of Songs does to move beyond the conflict and the hard times to get to better times. And it's so interesting, the questions from her friends in verse 9 remind her to do this. This question that her friends ask her Gave her the opportunity to praise her husband, which helped rekindle and remind her of her former feelings of love. Verse 9, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? So these friends ask the question, remind yourself of what, why you married him in the first place or why you married her in the first place. And when you remind yourself of that, it rekindles those former feelings of of love. And what follows is incredibly unique in ancient literature. In ancient poetry, you will find descriptions where a male gives an inventory of the female's features like we saw last week in chapter four. But this is one of the few times in chapter five we find one of the only times in ancient literature where a female gives an inventory of the male's features. Only place, one of the only places in all of antiquity. This book in the Bible is unique in antiquity in that it illustrates in its own way the equality of position and freedom that women should enjoy. And it's in God's word. Verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000 His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon. Choice is its, Caesar's. It has its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Daughters of Jerusalem. She moves beyond the conflict to appreciate him once again, and she cherishes him more than she did before, not in spite of the conflict, But because of the conflict. I want to close this in prayer. And as we do closing worship, the prayer room is open right over here. And maybe this has triggered some feelings uh, leading into Thanksgiving, being thankful. You know, I I know after the first service, I think the main thing people took away was being thankful for the, the hard parts of that person as well as the easy parts of that person. So the prayer team would just love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you. Um, But now let's pray before we do that. Lord, I want you to think right now, everybody, of that person that I had you start with at the beginning. Think of that person. And right now, Lord, I pray that leading into Thanksgiving, one of the things we'd be thankful for is their strengths. But Lord, help us to receive that as a gift, but also right now, Help us to receive from you another gift, and that is their weaknesses. That is their faults. That is their flaws. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, we thank you not just for the full half of the glass, but for the empty half of each of those people as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's family said,